and you may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, loved ones. What a uh, joy. I mean that in every sense of the word. Uh, what a joy it is to be back here with you all again. Um, so thankful for your prayers over the last uh, four weeks while my family and I have uh, been on my annual uh, study and preaching break and also a few weeks of vacation in there to uh, seek the Lord and be refreshed in Him, so needed and so good. So thank you for your prayers. But we're excited to be back, and we're excited to get in God's Word, so let's go. First Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. Jumping into the Old Testament, First Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word right now, put your hand up, and our ushers are coming forward right now. They got those Bibles up. Here they come. And we want to put a copy of God's Word in your lap. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then please, please, please take that with you as our gift to you so you can be encouraged to study God's Word at home on your own as well. We need it so much. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about this. By the way, you're going to want to get your pens ready for this series and bring your notebooks. If you're not in the habit of bringing them, make sure you're bringing them um, for this series. Because as we look around today, um, we look around and, hey, how's the economy doing? Okay, got everyone's attention. There you go. How's the economy doing? How's the inflation rate going? What's going on in the world these days? These world events that are going on, is it going pretty well? Wars and rumors of wars and um, how's that division going in society? Is that getting any better? How about... As you look around and you see the rampant evil and wickedness, anybody, anybody feel discouraged? Turn on the news, you feel a little bit discouraged? Feel a bit weary of all of that? Hey, hey, welcome to our new series. Series of Elijah. God's presence, power, and provision in the life of faith. And let me encourage you with this, loved ones, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, this is not a time for fear. This is a time for It is not a time for fear. It is a time for faith. And this series is so timely for today. So timely. But, that, but if we're going to get all of what I believe God wants us to get out of this series over the next five weeks. We have to answer this critical question that we see lived out through the life of Elijah, and it is this. Uh, what does the life of faith in God look like? If someone were to come up to you and ask you that question, what does the life of faith in God look like? What would you tell them? You say, that person's filled with faith. What does that mean? We can so easily just toss that term out there. What does the life of faith in God look like in times of abundance, when it's really easy to become apathetic? When it's really easy to lose the fervency because we're in our comfort zone? What does the life of faith in God look like in the trial? Anyone go through any trials the last two years? Anyone? Anyone? 
Yeah, if you were alive, you went through one. Let me just let you off the hook. What, what does the life of faith in God look like there? How about this? Um, what does the life of faith in God look like in the discouragement and in the despair? When you're feeling discouraged, when you're feeling weary, what does a life in faith in God look like in a society where many of its leaders don't fear the Lord? What does the life of faith in God look like right there? Does anyone live in a society like that? I don't know. Maybe just Elijah. What does the life of faith in God look like when you need to stand alone? What does the life of faith in God look like when sin is rampant and culture is pressing in and you feel increasingly alienated and marginalized for what you believe and who you believe in? What does the life of faith look like right there? How about this? What does the life and faith in God look like when walking by faith doesn't make any sense on a human level? What what does courageous faith look like there? Well, loved ones, glad you asked. Welcome to the life of Elijah. Welcome to the life of Elijah. And here's the first thing we need to understand. Elijah's life, That's not. Welcome to the life of Elijah. And the first thing we need to understand is that Elijah's life is not actually that different from our own. It's not that different from our own. But if we're going to understand what it means to live with courageous faith in our culture today, we need to get on the same page of what faith actually is. What is the Bible's definition of faith. Get your pens ready. Here we go. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let me, let me unpack a few of those terms there for us. Faith is the assurance, that is the confidence the confidence of things hoped for and the conviction. There's that term conviction right there. Circle it. The conviction, that is the fixed and firm belief of things not seen. I love how the ESV study Bible, it does a great job of unpacking this in a little more detail and drawing out the themes. Let's get some layman's terms. It means this. Biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in wishful thinking. Biblical faith, true faith, is not some vague hope that's grounded in wishful thinking. Like, gee, I hope the Red Blacks win a game. 
Go Red Blacks, huh? Go Red Blacks. It's not like, gee, I hope the Maple Leafs win the cup this year. Yeah, please don't put your hope in that. All right, all right? But here, here, here's, it's not some wishful thinking. Gee, I hope this, the weather's really nice tomorrow. That's not biblical faith. Instead, listen, faith is a settled confidence. A settled confidence. Conviction. That something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been, this is key, promised by God in his word, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. God promised it. God will fulfill it. So let's get a working definition of faith that we're going to work through over the course of this series. Right from Hebrews 11, it says this, practical level, day to day. Faith, you'll see it on the screen, write it down. Choosing, notice faith is a choice, by the way. Faith is a choice. Choosing to believe God's word and obeying it in his power because he will be glorified and promises his best outcome for me. There it is. Faith is choosing to believe God's word and obeying it in his power, no matter how you're feeling about a situation. No matter what the situation looks like, could happen. Faith is choosing to believe what God's word has said and then obeying it in his power because he will be glorified and promises his best outcome for me. This is why, this is why, loved ones, we need to tune in. If we are to live a life of true faith in the Lord, we must, like Elijah, it all starts right here, live with the conviction of true faith, which is this. God will keep his word. There's the conviction of faith. The conviction of things hoped for. And things not seen, that God will keep his word. It all starts here, but there's a problem. You recognize it right now, and so do I. And that problem is unbelief. The battle of unbelief is the greatest fight in the world that you and I fight every single day. The battle for faith that God will keep his word. And we often don't trust God to keep his word, and we lack this conviction. We look around and we see what's happening. We, we think about how we feel about a situation, and then welcome to this. Here we go. Welcome to the anxiety. Welcome to the fear. As it starts to creep in, as our doubt starts to be sown in our heart, will God really uphold his promises? Will his word really come to pass and be fulfilled? And then we start to think we see a better way of doing things. Anyone ever had that problem? Maybe just me. We think we see a better way, and, and we take matters into our own hands because we want to control things, and welcome to unbelief. And what's the result of this without living with this conviction? God will keep his word. See, without this conviction of the Lord, we lack confidence in the Lord. Do you see that? Without conviction of the Lord, we lack confidence in the Lord. And then without confidence, guess what happens? We lack courage in the Lord. See what happens? From conviction flows confidence. From confidence flows courage. We lose conviction. Guess what that leads to? Compromise. 
every time into unbelief. Fear of man, fear of failure, apathy. But I want to encourage us tonight with this all throughout this series. Write this down. Big idea for the message. Big idea for the series is this. God will always keep his word and you must trust him. This is the life of courageous faith summed up in one sentence. God will always keep his word and you must trust him. Conviction. And here... Throughout this series, far and away, this is the single greatest thing we see. As we look at a very ordinary man, Elijah. Very ordinary man, walking by faith in the hands of an extraordinary God. Very ordinary man, walking by faith in the hands of an extraordinary God. So let's find out who Elijah is. Okay, introduction time. Write this down. Elijah, his name means, my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. He was God's prophet for approximately 20 years, from 874 B.C. to 853 B.C. And the ministry, interestingly enough, you think names are important to God? The ministry that God entrusted to Elijah represented the name that God gave him. Why? Because Elijah was called by God to confront idolatry idolatry, mainly, get this, Baalism. Baalism in northern Israel, and he was called by God to stand up for righteousness in a day of rampant wickedness. Does that sound familiar? Elijah is not that different from you and me. Neither was the culture he was ministering in. And He was to declare, as you and I are, that the Lord was God and there was no other. In the face of, get this, the most ruthless and wicked king and queen in Israel's history up to that point. King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel. Queen Jezebel. And Queen Jezebel actually had it out for Elijah and the rest of the prophets because she was the one who instituted Baalism as the state religion in Israel now. Get rid of Yahweh, bring in Baal. All right? And she made it her goal, as we will see throughout the course of the series, to wipe out all of God's prophets. All right? So here's Elijah. His name's in My God is Yahweh. This is who he's confronting. No wonder his name means that, and that's his calling. All right? He's a Tishbite. He's also a Tishbite. And that means, you'll see right in the text, verse 1, now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe. Tishbe. Now, Tishbe, if you look at that little superscript number there, it says of the settlers, right? Of the settlers of Tishbe. This is in the region of Gilead. And why that little superscript is so important is because it means he's a sojourner. He actually didn't have a hometown. Look at the map on the screen here. That's where they think Tishbe was. They don't actually even know where it was. They just think that it was there by the brook Kareth. Elijah had no homeland. 
He had no homeland on this earth. And the, the settlers, they were sojourners. They were these rugged people, you know, maybe kind of muscular, wearing animal skins and, you know, all this. This is the type of background Elijah has. And we don't know 100% where it is, but what we do know is this. If you see in verse 1, Elijah appears out of nowhere. Do you see that in verse 1? It just says, now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbite. There's no magnificent genealogy, the son of, the son of, the son of, who accomplished this. this. It's just like Elijah the Tishbite. We have no previous mention of him in the Bible. And here, here's the key that we need to get from this verse one. Don't miss it. When we talk of men and women of faith in the Bible, it's so easy to say, well, they were just magnificent heights of faith, and they're so much better. Like, even when, you, when I mentioned Elijah, you're probably thinking chariots of fire. You're probably thinking Mount Carmel. That's where you go, oh, so brave, and he had something I never could. Hey, loved ones, men and women of faith, we so easily want to say, well, they were wealthy. They had the great training. They had the connections. They had it all together. I'm just me. I'm not like them. I'm a nobody from nowhere. Well, guess what? Elijah was a nobody from nowhere. They don't even know where his home was on the map. And there's no grand genealogy. He's a settler, a rugged outdoorsman. He's not called from the big city of Jerusalem or Samaria. Both who he was and where he's from were not well known. And you know what that shows? God loves to use the home. God loves to display his power, not through those who posture themselves and are like, look at me and I've got the background, I've got all this. He loves to use the lowly, the settlers, forgotten by the world, not by God. Wilderness, backcountry, but he loved so how, what else do we know about Elijah? Well, Elijah's mentioned in the New Testament more than any other prophet, this little settler. He's mentioned from the backcountry. He's mentioned 28 times in the New Testament. 28 times, more than any other prophet. And he appeared, I love this, he appeared in Matthew 17 to Jesus with Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. The settler from the backcountry. The outdoorsman. Here, you want another cool thing? There's actually only, you won't see this on your list, so write this down. There's actually only two people in the Bible who didn't taste physical death. Do you know who that was? Enoch and Elijah. You know what Elijah's homecoming was? Chariots of fire. For the settler from the back country who loved the Lord. The humble one that the world forgot about, but not the Lord. He's linked to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, they were both forerunners of the Messiah and they confronted evil and called people to repent. And lastly, what we see from all of this is that Elijah was a man like us. So I don't want you thinking, well, this doesn't have anything. Elijah's kind of way up there and then I'm down here. Elijah's a man like you and me. Notice James 5.17, he had the same nature as us, it says. He dealt with, be encouraged with this, loved ones, as I have been in preparing this. Elijah dealt with trials, suffering, and difficulties like you and me. 
Here it is. He struggled with despair and discouragement and depression. Can anyone relate? There's Elijah. So it's not, I don't want you thinking, oh, he's way up there. He never had an issue. Are you kidding? Wait till you get to chapter 19. Be encouraged. He had to depend on the Lord. Things didn't come easy for Elijah. He had to pray fervently. And I want you to recall this as we go through the series. Remember this, loved ones. Write it down. You'll see it on the screen. Elijah was a very ordinary man walking by faith in the hands of an extraordinary God. That's the difference. Elijah was a very ordinary man walking by faith in the hands of an extraordinary God. And absolutely convicted that God would keep his word. And so here in our text today, we're going to see two marks in the life of one who lives by the conviction of true faith that God will at all times and in all things keep his word. And in response, we'll see how God honors that faith and displays his glory through his power and provision in the life that trusts his word and follows in his strength. Hey, you ready for a faith fuel, Hope Ottawa? Uh-huh, we need some faith fuel this summer. Get your tanks ready. Let's plug in, open up God's word. First Kings 17, let's stand to read this together. Stand to read this together. First Kings 17, one to six. Nice and loud, let's go. Elijah predicts a drought, verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded, notice this, the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Hear the word of the Lord. All God's people said, amen. Hey, can we also say something else about our God? Our God is awesome. He is awesome. All right, first thing we see is this. Faith's conviction is that God will keep his word First point for us is this, declare it without fear. God will keep his word. Loved ones, you and I right here, declare it with no fear. Conviction leads to courage. No conviction, no courage when you're standing at the office with your coworkers or in the locker room or kids in your classrooms. No conviction of the truth of God's word means no courage in front of them. Will you declare God's word without fear? Let's get our context. Here we are, 874 BC, and context is so key, so we're gonna spend a few moments unpacking this. Notice verse one, the very first word, now. 
That sets the context up now. That's called a transition word, loved ones. And that means that something has happened previously that has brought Elijah into the picture. So when you see a transition word, loved ones, don't just keep reading. Go back a few verses to understand what's going on. And what we see is this, uh, Israel's in trouble. Israel is in trouble. It is a nation divided. And previously, under King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, the nation had been united for the past 120 years. One nation, all together, under those three kings. But then in 931 BC, something tragic happens. 57 years before Elijah comes on the scene, after Solomon's death, Solomon's son Rehoboam takes the throne, makes some really bad decisions, and the kingdom divides into the northern kingdom of northern Israel. See a map right here? Northern kingdom is, is at the top there where it says Israel. That's all the northern kingdom. And the capital of it is Samaria. And then it divides into the lower kingdom as well called Judah. That's the gray area. And it's made, Judah is made up of two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And the northern kingdom's made up of 10 tribes. Okay? So the kingdom divides in 931. BC. Now, to make matters worse, uh, both the northern and southern kingdoms, for the most part, had very unfaithful kings. The southern kingdom had a few faithful ones, like Josiah and all these things. We like to, you know, lift those guys up. They had a couple, but by far and away, unfaithful kings ruling both the northern and southern kingdoms and increasingly turned away from the Lord toward the worship of false gods and idols. It's just going down. And so as a result, Israel at this time, right here, that Elijah comes on the scene, has become totally polytheistic. Polytheistic just means they worship many gods and think that it's okay, instead of exclusive worship to the one true God, which was absent in most places. And as a result, there's a complete spiritual famine. You think there's a spiritual famine in our culture today? Yeah, you bet there is. You bet there is. It was a cesspool of idolatry, rampant sin, and apostasy. In fact, it was so bad. First Kings 16.30, if you just go up a few verses, it says it was the worst it's ever been. Ahab, the wicked king, did more evil than all of the kings leading up to him. It was the worst it's ever being the northern kingdom of Israel actually became the center of pagan worship, mainly of the so-called God Baal that Jezebel promoted as a replacement for Yahweh. Now, who's this Baal? Who's this Baal? Baal was a god who had the head of a bull and the body of a man. Okay? Head of a bull, the body of a man. He was known as the storm god, the god of fertility. And Baal was thought to control the lightning, the thunder, the rain, and he was heralded as the god of riches. Because guess why? Without the rain, do the crops grow? No crops grow. No rain, no crops, no life. So they're so dependent on this Baal. And now, enter Elijah, the Tishbite. And this is what Elijah walks into. And what you and I walk into every single day, loved ones. 
See why context is so important? Helps us relate, doesn't it? And I want to encourage you in this. It's so important to read the Bible in context because what we see again here is that no matter how bad things get, God already has a plan in place to confront it. He already had Elijah being trained up the whole time. He's already got a plan to confront it, no matter how bad things get. And God's plan here is we see right from verse 1, go back to the text, is an unknown man from an unknown place, a prophet named Elijah, who is mean, my God is Yahweh. God's at work the whole time. Look at verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives... Before whom I stand, look at this conviction, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Wow. That's the first thing we hear Elijah saying. Elijah comes into the picture and we see that he somehow gets an audience with Ahab. We have no idea how he even got there. That's obviously not important. He's in Samaria, and he declares to Ahab, notice this, the word of the Lord. Look what he declared. Here we see uh, four things he declares. Write these down, because this is the same declaration you and I are called to make as followers of Jesus Christ and the one true God every day. Number one, he says this, there's only one God. I love that. Do you see verse one? Look at this, as the Lord. That's exclusive. That's singular. It's not as our Lord said, as one of many God says, he, the first thing he says to the most ruthless king is, as the Lord, the God of Israel. What's that? There's only one God over Israel. There's only one God over this world, the Lord. Boom. Elijah just drops it, right? From day one. Mic drop, eh? I won't drop this mic, don't worry. Tech team, you can breathe again. Matthew Penner, I saw your eyes. All right, so here we go. Here we go. There is one God. He says, it's not Baal. It's not many gods. It's not a bunch that you can just kind of pick and choose the gods you want and make sure you can worship these ones over here so they got your back. He says, there's one God, and it is the Lord. Circle the word Lord there. Notice, capital L-O-R-D. God is very intentional about his name. It means means Yahweh. And Yahweh means the one who absolutely is, get this, fill in the blank, the one who absolutely is truth, the one who absolutely is grace, the one who absolutely is love, the one who absolutely is purity, the one who absolutely is creator, the one who absolutely has all power and sovereignty and authority, the one who absolutely controls life and death and numbers our days and on and on and on. You think God's specific about why he chose that name at that moment? The Lord, one God, he controls life, death, and everything in between. Hey, question for us today, right from that statement. Will you declare that? We live in a polytheistic society too. Are we declaring that? We say, you can worship who you want. They just have different names. We, instead of Baal now, we call them Buddha. We call them Allah. We call everything else. Or do we say there is one true God? And his name is Yahweh.
There's one true God. That's conviction. Will you declare there's one God? And as we know, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he does not share his glory with another. Not money, not the gods of power or sex or status or wealth or by any other so-called gods with different names. There's one God. Will you declare it? Secondly, look at the text. Go back to the text right here, so clear. As the Lord, the God of Israel, what's the next word? Say it together. Go. Lives. Let's try that again. As the Lord, the God of Israel, go. Lives. You know what he's saying right there? Good job, Hope. Man, I missed you guys so much. Love y'all. He lives. He says, the one God, our God, is alive. Now let's get some clarity. Why does Elijah declare this to Ahab? He lives. Well, get this. Context is key. See, Israel's in a desert. And I've lived there during the summer. Do you know what happens in the summer? In the dry months? There's no rain. There's no water. There's no rain. Well, wait a sec. What happens to Baal? Isn't he the storm god? Don't you think you could help his people out? What, does he go on vacation for the summer? Wait a sec, it, it's it. Well, here, here's what happened. See, the deception runs deep when you want to make another god your god. Watch this. To explain the dry season in Israel when there's no rain, Baal worshippers believed Baal would submit to another god the god of death named Mot. So Baal would submit for the summer to Mot, and then after the summer, Baal would be restored to life, and he would come back. And notice what Elijah declares here, knowing this. He declares, my God, the one true God, Yahweh is not dependent on the seasons. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Aren't you, hey, if you're saved in Jesus Christ here, is it a comfort to you that your God is not dependent on the seasons? That he's the one who has them all in his hands and controls them and has all authority and doesn't take summer vacation? Does that comfort you to know that in his sovereignty and power, at all times, in all seasons, in all things, God is ruling and reigning for his glory and the good of his people? He cannot be thwarted. He is in complete control. Nothing can stop him. No pandemic, no economic uncertainty, no rampant sin or wickedness in society. Everything is in his hand. He created and sustains all things and nothing is too hard for him. He will do as he pleases. Amen? All right. Third thing you see right here. Are we declaring that, by the way? People need to hear about the sovereignty of a good, loving God these days, don't they? Come on. There's only one God. He's alive. Go back to the text. Here's what he says. I serve him above all, Elijah says. Notice this. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, 
before whom I stand. Circle the word stand there. Here's what it means. It means, the Hebrew means to serve or offer up oneself to another as the highest priority. Elijah's declaring his priorities. Elijah says, Ahab, Ahab, I just know that I'm a nobody from nowhere, but if it's between speaking to please you, if it's between speaking to please man or speaking to please my God, the Lord, I'm choosing the Lord every time. Notice this, before whom I stand. He answers to one authority. Every time, there's no fear of man here. Why? Because of his conviction of who the Lord is as God, as king, and his conviction of God's faithfulness to his word, it gives the Elijah courage to do that. And courage leads, flows from conviction. Courage flows from conviction. Are we living with courageous faith today? Knowing that God will keep his word. When you're, when you're able to share your faith, in the workplace, or are we backing down because of a fear of men? Who is it that you're before you're standing right there? I serve him above all. Who do you serve above all? Your boss, people's opinions of you. Who do you serve above all? Wealth, comfort, job, children, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Galatians 1.10, Paul knocks this out of the park. He says right here, he says, if I try to serve, if I try to speak to please man over pleasing God, I wouldn't be a faithful disciple and servant of Christ. That's what Elijah's saying right here. Before whom I stand, who are you standing before? Lastly, we see this. What else is he declaring in this jam-packed verse? One God, he's alive. I serve him above all. And here it is. He will keep his word tells Ahab right to the face. Notice what he says. There shall be neither dew, verse one, nor rain these years except by my word. Neither dew nor rain. See, here, here's why Elijah says that. God is promising to fulfill his word. Because if you recall, he promised back in Deuteronomy 11, verses 16 and 17, that if Israel turned from the worship of Yahweh to worship other gods, God would stop the rain and he would send a drought. So here's Elijah declaring, my God will keep his word. There's a consequence for sin, and this would happen. He said it would if you sinned by worshiping other gods. You think this was a popular message with Ahab? You think this was a popular message in a culture that was totally and almost immersed in Baal worship? It's not a matter if it's unpopular, it's a matter if we're faithful. Loved ones. Are we faithful? See, God promised a drought. Notice drought, not even dew. There wouldn't even be dew on the ground. Forget the rain, there's not even a drop of dew. It's gonna be intense. And Elijah was filled with so much conviction from God keeping his word that he boldly and courageously declared the drought would only end once Elijah said it would. Talk about the need for conviction there. Now here's the key we gotta understand. As God's prophet, God's word was Elijah's word. So he's saying here, when God says it's over, it's over. Not when Baal decides. You see, also, this was a direct challenge to Baal, wasn't it? 
Because recall, Baal was the god of rain. So God's giving Baal a direct toe-to-toe challenge. He's like, okay, let's see where this goes. You want to come up against me? God is showing Baal is powerless. He's a false god. And only the sovereign, all-powerful Lord with all authority can bring or stop the rain. Their so-called God gave them no hope. See, today, loved ones, let's bring it into today. This world is in a downward spiral of sorrow, death, idolatry, rampant sin and wickedness, and is gripped with fear. And the Lord is looking. Scripture says his eyes roam to and fro across the earth, ready to lend his strong support to those who are faithful to him. He is looking for faithful men and women who will forsake the worship of these worldly gods and ask him for the faith to believe the truth of his word and choose to stand on it with conviction no matter the cost. As Tozer said, you'll see it on the screen, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe quite accurately, a scared world needs a fearless church. Elijah is showing fearless faith. A nobody from nowhere, a man like us, taken on the most ruthless and wicked king there was. Conviction leads to courage. Will you declare in June 2021, 2022? Oh man, I gotta catch up and get off vacation. And it's, it's July. July! Let me try this again. Hey, thanks for your grace, loved ones. Will you declare here in July 2022 God's word without fear that our God is alive? Amen? Amen. See, because here's the thing we have to remember. You say, why is conviction so important? Why? why? Is it right here, you'll see it on the screen. Conviction will fuel your confession. The more gripped you are with the glory of God and the truth of his word, the more you are fueled to declare that in grace and truth and in love. Not as a bully. We're not doing God any favors. But in grace and truth in love. So let me ask you a question. What's hindering your conviction? Who are you standing before? God of finance? God of your status? Where are you doubting that God will keep his word? Where is it for you? That situation you're in now, where are you doubting that God will keep his word and it's leading you to idolatry as you exalt other things to give you what only he can? Where are you speaking to please man, not God? Where are you trying to serve two masters, the false so-called small g gods of status, wealth, sex, comfort, you name it? Where is that for you? Just write it down right now. You're not hiding it from God. He sees it already. Let's get real. And hear the word of the Lord. Loved one, repent. Repent of your fear of man. Repent of your idols that you are clinging to. Cast your doubts and fears on the Lord and cry out to him. Help my unbelief with what? Help my unbelief in that situation. What is that? Write it down. What is that for you? That one that causes you fear and anxiety. Lord, help my unbelief right there. Then choose by faith to declare the word so that others may hear the glorious truth of the gospel by his power through you and may come to life in him. Here it is, faith's conviction is that God will keep his word. Declare it without fear. Declare it. And with this, last point today is this. You must obey it. Obey it with no rebellion. Obey it. No rebellion. Conviction, see, conviction leads to courage, right? But here's the other thing conviction leads to, submission. Conviction of the truth of God's word leads to submission to God. Will you trust God's word and obey? 
Will you trust God's word and obey? Look at verses 2 to 6. Go back to the text. Here it is. And the word of the Lord came to him, that is Elijah, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. And I have, look at this. Talk about God's sovereign over all creation. I've commanded the ravens to feed you. He commanded the birds to feed him. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. That's awesome. There's no one like our God. See, after declaring God's word to Ahab, God, notice what God does here. He knows Elijah's a marked man now. So what does he do? He puts, a, he puts Elijah into the prophet protection program. He puts him into the prophet protection program by telling Elijah to leave Samaria, get out of town, okay, and hide yourself in the wilderness across the Jordan River to the brook Kareth. That's a ravine. Why? Because Ahab is not looking for him there. This area was completely inhospitable. Here, let's put a picture. Where's he going? There's the Kareth Ravine today. Try to grow crops on those hills. Try to have any semblance of a meal plan. And that, that over there, you see it looks like a church on the right. That's actually St. George's Monastery that they've built there to commemorate Elijah's time there. They built it into the rock. Maybe one day we'll go see it, huh? <laughs> Come on. So there we go, Lord willing. So here it is, Kareth Ravine. This is where Elijah gets sent. And God tells Elijah how he'll provide for him. He gives him the divine meal plan. This incredible picture of God's sovereignty and power over all creation. He tells Elijah that when he gets there, he'll drink of the brook and will be fed morning and night by ravens, get this, who God has commanded him to bring meat and bread to. This is like 9th century B.C. DoorDash. All right, here we go. Ninth century BC Uber Eats coming by flight. All right, isn't that amazing? There's nothing new under the sun. Hey, everyone's like, hey, Uber's a neat thing. It's a new thing. No, it's not. God was Ubering a long time. All right, so here they are. A little DoorDash. And I want you to notice something, what he says to Elijah. In our waiting, God is working, huh? In our waiting, God is working. Notice what he says. I have commanded the ravens. What does that mean? I already did it. I've already got your provision done. But if you're going to see it, you got to go. I have commanded them. He had already provided even when Elijah couldn't see it. Everyone say, God's working it out. Go. He's working it out. And then verses 5 and 6, notice this. Elijah, without wavering, there's nothing in the text about, uh, okay, let me get birds, uh, brook, and a drought, and a uh, ravine. And, there's nothing about that. Look at the text. 5 and 6, what does he do? Just read, read the text. So he went and did, according to the word of the Lord. Without wavering, he goes and does according to the word of the Lord. And sure enough, day after day, for almost, as we will see, almost three and a half years in that ravine, just like that, 
almost three and a half years, in the middle of a life-killing drought and famine, Elijah is fed meat and bread by the birds day and night and has all his needs provided for. See what happens? His conviction led to his submission. Where are you rebelling against the word of God? You won't see that. So let's just live in the text because this is amazing. Put yourself in Elijah's shoes. You hear God's word. You hear his command to go. Uh, let's get this straight, God. You want to send me to a small brook in a, in a drought that's coming that's going to kill all the crops? This isn't like, you know, rushing river. This brook was seasonal. There's not much water flow in the Kareth brook. Do you want me to go there? In one of the most inhospitable and isolated areas to live in, away from the cities? Does, do you really, are you really sending me into isolation, God? Away from the big cities where all the provisions were? It looks a lot better over in Jerusalem. You're sending me to this place with no abundant food supply because it's all mountainous. And while I'm there, just, just so I'm clear, ravens, the unclean animals you told us to not eat and avoid in Deuteronomy 14, 14, are going to be the ones to bring the food? At, twice a day? If I could just sum this up, here's what Elijah's saying. You want my life to be completely dependent and have my life in your hands alone? What if the ravens don't come? What if they come the first day, but they don't come the next day? Don't we do this? Well, yeah, God, you provided on that day, but this situation's different. The drought's getting more intense. Will you, don't we do the same thing? What if the ravens don't come today? They came yesterday, but what if, what if, what if there's like climate change and they go migrate somewhere? What if there's like, what if there's a storm and they get blown away? Or what if they just forget that I'm here? And I, we do the same thing. Don't we do this? Well, God, yeah, you were faithful back then, but now, are you going to be faithful now? Can't you imagine Elijah waking up each morning? You wonder, are the ravens coming today? I'm really hungry. Are the ravens coming? Hey, eyes up here. Look here, right here. The ravens are coming. The ravens always come when God commands them to. The ravens are coming. Stay faithful. Trust him. Don't underestimate that ever. God said it, he'll do it. Repeat that after me. If God said it, he'll do it. Go. If God said it, he'll do it. Would, would you and I struggle to obey God's word here? Would you allow your confusion of the situation? Well, I can't see how that's going to happen. I don't have all the next steps laid out. And what if this? And what if this? That doesn't make sense. Would you allow your confusion to trump your conviction? So often we do, don't we? Well, I can't see how it's going to work out. I better start taking matters into my own hands. Loved ones, you'll see it on the screen, write this down. 
Courageous faith right here. Come on, let's go. True faith does not come from whether you see it, but it comes from God having said it. True faith does not come from whether you see it happening. That's not faith. True faith comes from God having said it, and if he said it, he'll do it. And you're like, well, how will he provide in this if, if I follow him? And maybe some of you are struggling with a call to ministry right now, and you're like, what's my family going to live on? And all of this, hey, hey, can I encourage you with this? this? This came to mind as I'm prepping. If it's God's will, it's God's bill, okay? If it's God's will, it's God's bill. He's going to send the ravens. Now notice this, like we'll see in two weeks in the widow in Zarephath's house, right? It doesn't mean, God didn't load up Elijah with meat and bread storehouses. What did he do? He gave him his daily bread. This isn't some prosperity gospel. That's a heinous lie from hell. You just believe enough and you'll have it all stocked up and with rich life and big cars. No, 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 no. He gave him his daily bread. He gave him just enough to get through the day. And notice this, um, Elijah, a man like us, had to choose in faith to submit to God's word. Not say, oh yeah, thanks, God, but I'm just going to go to J-Town where they have air conditioning and more supplies. Stay comfy. No. He had to choose in faith to submit to God's word and obey him if he was to be faithful and see God's provision. This is why 2 Corinthians 5.17 in the New Testament says, we walk by faith, not by sight. The ravens are coming. Next time you go out on a walk with your families, I was on a prayer walk and I just finished this message, putting it in, and sure enough, there's like five ravens in front of me on the street. Normally I like to scare them, but now, <laughs> now I'm just like, Sweet, just stay there. It's all good. My faith is rising right now. My faith is rising. See, conviction leads to submission. But Elijah's not going to that ravine if he's not convicted God's word is true and that God's going to keep it. He's not going to the ravine. Neither will you or I. Conviction leads to submission. Will you trust God's word and obey See, what's that situation? Right here, let's get personal. Bring it down before we go to communion. What is that situation for you right now? What is it? Where's that ravine? Where's the Kareth brook? That God's like, right there, I'm, I'm going to send you. You need to follow my word. Like, I don't want to follow. I think I need to do this. And No, you need to humble yourself. You need to wait. You need to not grasp control. You need to trust me. You need to turn your hurt and bitterness over to me instead of trying to hang on to them because you think that that's somehow getting back at that person that hurt you. Where is that? Where are you refusing to go? And instead of being anxious and fearful, you need to repent of your unbelief and take God's word right here. Even when you get home, even right now, and abide in it. Draw near to him and abide in it. And ask him for faith to believe it and choose to walk by faith, not by sight, for his glory and your good. See, faith's conviction is that God will keep his word. Nothing can stop him. Nothing. Nothing, no plan of man can thwart the plans of God. Amen? He doesn't take seasons off. So declare this word without fear and obey it in his power without turning from it. And you may say this, if you're like me, came out of this message thinking, this is so hard. Does anyone else struggle with sin? Maybe just me. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. It's hard, isn't it? 
As much as we try to patch ourselves together and look good, the reality is it's really hard to live with no rebellion against the Lord. But I want to encourage us with this. We need a Savior, don't we? And God sent us one. Jesus, the Son of God, the greater Elijah, the author and perfecter of our faith, has gone before us, loved ones. He's gone before us to the Kareth Ravine. He's gone before us to the wilderness. He's gone before us in each situation we face. He lived a life of perfect faith, not sinning once. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, he lived a life of perfect faith, believing every part of God's word with conviction to the point where he was overthrowing temple tables. Conviction and declaring and proclaiming it without fear. He too, hey, just like Elijah had a nature like ours, Jesus Christ too had a human nature. Perfectly, fully God and fully man. And he faced the same trials and temptations you and I face in every day. And yet with perfect faith and obedience, he did not sin. He fulfilled God's word on our behalf. And here's great news. He's promised to give us all that we need, no matter the situation, to follow him. He loves you. And he is ready to forgive and restore you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but we need to do business with him. And where we've blown it off, he says, come back. Will you cry out to him? And that's what we're going to do right now in communion as the worship team comes up. We're going to go to communion right now and remember the finished work of Jesus Christ. And right now, 